Y'all dare me? <laughs> I have absolutely no rhythm, or I would do it. I would just embarrass myself sitting here in front of a drum. But he, he got up, he walked away, and I thought, you know, isn't every guy's dream to like be the rock and roll drummer or guitarist or something? I could live my... No, I'm not going to live that dream. I don't think that's a God dream. I think that's a Todd dream. And those are usually pretty dangerous. So, hey, speaking of the dream, I want to welcome Elevation Church back here this morning as we continue in our series from the book of Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah is actually the memoirs of a man named, get this, Nehemiah. And Nehemiah lived several hundred years before Christ. He's an Old Testament dude. He's not an old dude. He's an Old Testament dude. And Nehemiah engaged in a fabulous dream, a God-given dream. And his dream was this amazing building project of biblical proportions. And so that's why we have subtitled our Nehemiah series, Building the Dream. Now, in reality, Nehemiah is probably one of the, it may be the very best study in leadership ever. We're kind of taking that tack on it, but I also want to really talk about building this dream because I think too many of us today walk around without any concept of what God's dream, His plan, His purpose for our life is. But we do have a God-given, God-sized dream that He planted in our hearts, and it is indeed His purpose and His plan for our life. Jeremiah 29.11 is one of many verses throughout the Scriptures that refer to this. God said, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. See, He has a plan for every person that He creates. He has a plan for me, and He has a plan for you. That plan is His dream. It is your purpose. Nehemiah realized God's purpose for his life, and he got to participate in that purpose. And that is what we're going to uncover throughout these several weeks that we get together and study what happened with him and with his building project, his dream. Now, as we go through this series, my prayer, what I believe God put this on my heart for, is that each and every one of us would find that dream that God planted in our hearts, and that we would begin to build that dream and to live that dream for His glory and, frankly, for your benefit. Because I learned when I pursue Todd dreams, like playing the drums, those things don't always turn out so well. But when I pursue God's dreams, those things, those things have a way of blessing my life and others. So my prayer is that throughout this series from the book of Nehemiah, that you find your purpose, your God-given dream. Because He has an individualized, God-sized dream for you. He also has a collective dream. A dream for all of us united as His church. God's collective dream for His church is that we would go share the good news, the gospel of Jesus, with others. God so loved the world that He didn't want to live eternally as He does exist eternally without us. He wanted every one of us to repent of our sins and to live eternally with Him. 
So he sent his son Jesus to make right all of the wrong that you and I do. And Jesus, after he had done his work on the cross, established the church to carry out his ministry for all time. And so that is God's collective purpose, his collective dream for all of us united together. So not only in this series do I pray, do I hope, do I plan, do I prepare for trying to help all of us find, identify, begin to build our individualized, God-sized purpose and dream, but also that we would come together and unite as a team and build collectively his dream for the church. And I believe that if we will do that because that one is spelled out in the pages of Scripture. It's black and white, cut and dried, simple. We know what God wants us to do collectively as a church. Sometimes we have to live a lot of years and have a lot of experiences, get a lot of teaching, fall down and skin our knees and do a lot of other things before we realize what God's individual dream for each one of us is. But I believe if we'll do this collective dream together, that we may be able to find that individual purpose and plan more easily as we get in the flow of what God is doing and what he has called each one of us to do. So last week, we kind of checked out at the end of chapter one of Nehemiah's memoirs, and he left us with a cliffhanger. He could have been like a, a TV writer. Have you ever noticed your favorite shows always end on a cliffhanger? I mean, they even make commercials now that end on a cliffhanger, right? So you'll stay tuned and see the next commercial. It's crazy. But it works. And Nehemiah left us with a cliffhanger. We found out that Nehemiah was, was a Jewish descendant living as a captive in a foreign land. His family at some point had been captured about 100 years prior to, to actually the time that he's recording. The, the city of Jerusalem had been conquered. And the, the conquering people hauled a lot of the Jewish folks off and made them slaves and captives in their land. Several generations passed. Nehemiah is born into that captivity. He is in the king's court. And he left us with the cliffhanger saying that he was the cupbearer to the king. And we know that the cupbearer to the king would have been a very trusted advisor, servant, member of the court. And as such, he would have close proximity to the king. He would have the opportunity to come into the king's presence, to serve the king, and he was very trusted because the cupbearer was the guy who had to taste the wine and the food before the king dug in, just in case the cupbearer keeled over, then the king would know not to eat it because obviously that was an assassination attempt, right? Either that or the chef needed some serious retraining. But Nehemiah left us with that. He's the cupbearer to the king. And I told you we would pick up his story right there this week. So let's do that. Let's open up chapter 2 and find out what Nehemiah's proximity to the king did in the pursuit of his purpose. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but a sadness of the heart. Nothing but a sadness of the heart, King Artaxerxes realizes. I think that's a cool thing that he saw this and recognized something serious was up in Nehemiah's heart. Before we get to what that was, I think there's some things we need to explain. I don't know about you, I do not own a calendar that tells me what month Nissan is. Like, Nissan is a car. 
people drive. Some of y'all probably parked your Nissans out front. I, I don't know when Nissan is on the calendar. And, and chapter one started with Nehemiah telling us it was the month of Kislev. My calendar doesn't tell me that either. So I had to dive in and do a little bit of research, and I found out Kislev is the month of November. Nissan would be like the month of March. So four months, maybe five, depending on when in Kislev and Nissan all this happened, right? Four to five months have passed from the time that God began to spring up or sprout up this, this dream that he had planted in Nehemiah's heart until the time when Nehemiah comes before King Artaxerxes to bring him his wine. Now, I don't know if this was the first time that Nehemiah had brought him his wine. Maybe King Artaxerxes didn't drink much. I don't know. Maybe he had been in his presence many times and the time just wasn't right. He just sensed now's not the time to talk to the king. If you're married, you know what I'm talking about. There are sometimes it is not the time to talk to your husband or your wife about whatever's going on in your heart because you can sense the mood is not in your favor. And I would think with the king, that might be even a little bit more amplified than it is in your marriage. And so I don't know why four or five months passed, but I do know based on what we learned about Nehemiah last week that Nehemiah probably, now I'm going out on a little bit of a limb here, but I feel pretty secure on it, probably made really really good use of the time that he had. Four or five months. And we know that right away when Nehemiah heard the sad state of affairs in Jerusalem in chapter 1, he sat down, he wept, he poured out all of those emotions. Then he, he began to pray and he fasted. Nehemiah had been in a preparatory state of mind, a preparatory state of doing, of being, for, I believe, all of these four or five months. And so when he stands before King Artaxerxes, he brings him the wine. He did something a little dangerous. Now remember, he's all prayed up. He's all prepped up. He's ready. And he's looking for his opportunity. And he walks in with the wine. And for the first time in the history of ever, Nehemiah is sad in the presence of the king. And the king, to his credit, takes notice and he knows Nehemiah is not ill so this must be a sadness of the heart Nehemiah took a little risk I believe he's testing to see if the time is right the opportunity is presenting he's testing to make sure the opportunity is real we'll see what happens I was very much afraid he says at the end of verse 2, I was very much afraid. I wonder why Nehemiah would be very much afraid walking in before the king, who by the way had sworn a, a wall would never be rebuilt around Jerusalem. A king who is the captor of all of these Jewish people. And he's going to walk into the king's presence and for the first time be sad in his presence, and knowing that if the door is open, he's got another step to take beyond just being sad, and, and the door opens. He said, I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Ooh, he's starting to out what's inside. He's starting to let out what is inside of him, this dream, this plan, this thing, this purpose that God is raising up in him. Now remember, he would have been prayed up. He would have been fasting. He would have been listening for God. He would have been learning about this 
thing that he thinks God's called him to do. Nehemiah would have been planning for this opportunity. And now the opportunity comes and he's ready. He's let God develop fully this picture, this dream. So when the opportunity presents, he knows the opportunity, the time is right. He knows what he needs to carry the dream out, to fulfill his purpose, because he's done the back work. He's done the stuff that nobody ever sees, the sitting, the crying, the planning, the praying, the preparing, the fasting, the listening. And God through that has a fully developed picture, a vision in Nehemiah's mind, in his heart. And I want to ask you this morning, what are you doing to allow God to develop fully the picture, the vision of the dream that he's planted in your heart? Are you doing the things that nobody ever sees, the behind closed doors stuff to prepare yourself to receive that dream, to see that fully developed picture in your mind's eye of who God designed you to be, of where God called you to be, and of what He desires for you and from you. Have you done what Nehemiah did to prepare yourself for that? I think too many times in my own life, I won't speak for any of you, you can evaluate yourself for yourself. In my life, I've been a heat-seeking missile way too many times. You know what happens when, when a serviceman, a pilot, pushes the launch button on one of those heat-seeking missiles? Those air-to-air, it drops off the wing, and, and the jets fire, and it's off. And it's locked onto a target. And it doesn't matter what happens. It stays locked onto that target. And in my life, I've been that heat-seeking missile. I get, a, I get a Todd dream. I want to play the drums. I get a Todd dream. I don't consult God. I don't pray. I don't seek. I don't fast. I don't listen. I don't prepare. I just take off in a singular direction. Totally focused. Focus is good. But what are you focused on? Because when you're a heat-seeking missile, I think many times the heat you are seeking is not the target you thought you were locked onto. Sometimes that heat is from a source you don't want to hit. You don't want to get to that target, if you know what I'm saying. Some of you are heat-seeking missiles this morning. Re-ask yourself that question. What are you doing to allow God to develop fully that vision, that purpose, that dream? in you. Whose purpose are you on? Nehemiah was on God's purpose. He made good use of his time preparing for the opportunity so that he recognized it and could respond to it. He was afraid. It was a life and death situation to go before the king and to look sad. That could have been an off with your head moment if the king was in a bad mood. Then he went beyond looking sad and he told the king what his problem is. The opportunity presented, he tested, the waters were good, God was there, was with him, so he was out one step on the limb, he took a second step out of the limb when he told the king what he was upset about, 
And then in verse 3, he took that next step of faith. I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should not my face? The city is in ruins. I mean, everything's been consumed. He took this huge step of faith. I said last week, nothing happens without a dream. That's just something I've observed. I think I heard somebody say that years ago. I was like, I wonder if that's true. And so I you know, kind of just casually been observing that for years, that nothing happens without first a dream. No building gets built. No ground gets taken. Nothing good happens without first a dream. But ladies and gentlemen, I would extend that one step farther and tell you this. No dream ever lives without first faith. So your dreams can die a lonely death right up here between your ears. It's about eight inches if you're a fathead like me. For most of you, it's about six inches between your ears, right? Your dreams can die a lonely, sad, unfulfilled death right there in your head. If you've ever been called a dreamer, somebody was assuming your dreams were going to die, that your dreams would not be achieved. And if you don't have faith to pursue the dream, they're right that dream will die right there in those six inches. But faith, Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us, faith, confidence in what we hope for. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not or cannot see. Nehemiah didn't know for sure. He had a vision in his head. It could have been bad falafel or something. I don't know. But he had confidence in God. He had faith in what he couldn't prove, that it was a God-planted dream. And so he stepped out on this fully developed picture of a dream. He stepped out on faith. And ladies and gentlemen, a dream pursued in faith, a God-sized, God-given, God-planted dream pursued in faith, I believe, will not fail. Now that doesn't guarantee it's going to succeed the way you think it does, just as a little you know, bookend to that. But I don't believe it will fail if you will pursue that dream in faith. And if you are this morning lacking in faith to pursue your dreams, to chase that purpose God has planted in you, then I pray you would take heart from the lessons of Nehemiah. Listen to what he says in these memoirs. Check it in your life and begin to see what God does with this man's faith. And maybe you can be encouraged and build some faith of your own. Let's look at verses 4 through 6. It gets real good because the king answers what Nehemiah said. Verse 4, the king said to me, what is it that you want? Ding, 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 ding. If you're in sales, if you've ever been in sales, you recognize this is what we call a buying signal. Hallelujah! I'm going for the clothes. Right? The whole point in sales is getting to the clothes, right? And so you're having a conversation with the person you're selling to, and when they start asking you questions about price, about timing, about quantities that you can deliver, about what it is that you can do for them, ding, 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 it's on. King Artaxerxes just gave Nehemiah the ultimate buying signal. What is it you want? He's now another step out on the limb. Nehemiah says, Then I prayed to the God of heaven. Can you imagine that little instant launch prayer, little Pop-Tart prayer, man, just drop that sucker in and just pray it heats up fast. God, here I go, four steps out on the limb. And I believe that God was with him because if God was not with Nehemiah, four steps out on the limb, I believe Artaxerxes, this anti-Semite, would have had the saw, baby, and been sawing him off. 
But God was with him. He, he prayed, and then he said, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Boom! Fully developed picture of the dream God has planted in Nehemiah's heart. There it is. He just gave it voice. The dream lives. It's outside of those six inches now, and it's taking its first gasps of breath. It's been born. Nehemiah gave it voice. And then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take? And when will you get back? How long will your journey take? And when will you get back? Deal's done. Nehemiah closed the sale. He prepared, he listened, he fasted, he prayed, he got all of this fully developed picture. And then in faith, he took the opportunities as they arose. He gave voice, gave life to the dream. And Artaxerxes, the captor king, is in. This is the same king that said there would never be a wall around Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, he's in. He says, okay, cool. Uh, when are you leaving? And uh, when are you coming back? Because by the way, brother, I like you. You're one of my favorite cupbearers. I, I want to know when you're coming home. He's in. God delivered on the dream. God delivered on the dream of Nehemiah. And the same God who delivered on that dream will deliver on your dreams if you're pursuing His dreams for you. When you align your heart with His heart, when your dreams are His dreams, when you do all of that prep work and get those things aligned, the same God that delivered for Nehemiah will deliver in your life as well. Nehemiah is out on that limb and he gets bolder. I mean, can you imagine you're four steps out on the limb? The limb's got to be getting a little bit springy, right? You got to be starting to think, this thing may not hold me. But if you've ever climbed a tree, when you were a little kid or a big kid, it doesn't matter. I'm 215 pounds of big kid. I'll just go ahead and tell you the truth. When I climb a tree, I want to go as high as I can. And if I'm going to go out on the limb, baby, I'm going to go as far as I dare because it's fun. I like that little yeah feeling. And so Nehemiah is four steps out and he goes another step. Check out what he does next. It pleased the king to send me, at the end of verse 6, so I set a time. Remember, he was prepared, prayed up, he knew what his needs were, and in verse 7 he goes ahead and tells the king, not only how long am I going to be gone, but oh, by the way, I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, the royal forest, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence that I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. Because God's hand was with him, the king granted his requests. Nehemiah went for it all. I mean, he went for the whole enchilada. 
The limb was already kind of springy. He took that next step. He's on thin limb. You thought I was going to say ice. He's on thin limb. But God's standing there supporting him. God is with him. God is delivering on the dream. Nehemiah simply had to recognize the dream, prepare and let God develop in him the picture, look for the opportunities, and when they arose because of his preparedness, he simply walked in faith towards the dream that God had called him to. And God had already gone before him, I believe, and prepared the way. Artaxerxes, the anti-Semite captor king, now is not only sending Nehemiah to do the work he said would never be done, he's funding Nehemiah to go do the work he said would never get done. He's providing him safe travel, and he's cutting down his own forest, his own trees, to build the wall, and even to build Nehemiah a house. Are you kidding me? I love this stuff. This is stuff that only God can do. Uh, if you're pursuing a, a Todd dream or fill in the blank with your name, I don't know, uh, whatever your dreams are, do you think that you could provide the things that God has provided for Nehemiah to pursue his God-sized, customized, all about serving him dream? I don't know. Maybe you're better than me. I can't. I can't. So here's Nehemiah all dialed in to God's dream for him. He's been commissioned by God last week in chapter 1. Commissioned by God, and now because of his preparedness and his faith, he's been provisioned by Artaxerxes. I believe by God. But through Artaxerxes. And now Nehemiah is ready to strike out. He's ready to leave on his journey in pursuit of the dream. And it's not like this is the end. This is like the beginning. It's just getting good. Verse 9, So I went to the governor of trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. You can't touch me, and you can't touch me, and by the way, neither can you. I'm going to roll right on through here, and y'all are going to leave me alone because King Artaxerxes said so because my God said so. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. You guys ever have a wingman? Some of you girls are shaking your heads. I'm laughing about that. I didn't know girls rolled with wingmen or women or whatever. I don't know. But guys, we always, when I was a guy, when I was, I was, when I was a guy, that's dangerous. When I was a younger guy, didn't mean to confess that this morning. When I was a younger guy, we rolled in groups of three or four, you know, because you never knew when you might have to get physical or something, right? And you always felt a little more willing or a little more prepared when you had your wingman with you. I can't imagine what Nehemiah was like rolling through trans-Euphrates. He has letters from the king, and oh, by the way, he sent me with an army. You want to, Come on. What? What? Get him. Right? Nehemiah's like well-provisioned. He's got everything and then some. He's like over-prepared now. God has done more than, above and beyond what was necessary. Verse 10, the plot thickens. It gets good. Every good story has got to have, got to have a bad guy. Enter the villain. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed. That's a good phrase. You've been very much disturbed. They were very much 
disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. When you prepare, when you pray, when you fast, when you listen, when you give the Lord time to develop in you a fully framed picture, a vision of His purpose and His dream, when you seek that, and when you then go in search of the opportunities, when you are waiting on the Lord to move on your behalf, and when He does, you're prepared to move with Him, when you're in pursuit of that God-sized, individualized, personalized dream, or when you're in pursuit of that collective, church-wide dream that God has for us, you will have opposition. Guaranteed. It is a 100% chance. When you're chasing a God-sized, God-given dream, when you're in pursuit of His purpose for you, you will encounter opposition. Too many Christians over the years, over centuries of time, have somehow misinterpreted the opposition to mean, oops, it got hard, God must not want me to go there. Oops, must not be the right dream I'm in pursuit of. It got difficult. Challenges came. Naysayers appeared. Bloggers launched negative comments. My mother-in-law says I can't do it. My wife doesn't believe in me. We don't have the funds. Opposition is a confirmation more than it is a denial of the dream. When these two knuckleheads, Sanballat and Tobiah, got real disturbed, real miffed that somebody was going to come and, and represent the good for the Jews in Jerusalem, they opposed Nehemiah. But that opposition didn't stop our brother Nehemiah. Remember, he was prayed up, prepped up, commissioned, provisioned, and ready to launch. He's off in pursuit to build the dream. And that's this week's cliffhanger. We'll pick up next week and find out what happens with this opposition and how Nehemiah goes about the building of the dream, the reconstruction of the wall that protects the city of Jerusalem and brings back glory and honor to that holy city, to God and to His people there. That is our mission for next week. Heavenly Father, thank You for being a dream-building God. A God who has planted the seeds of dreams, who's designed each one of us with purpose and specific intent. The God who can do things we can't, who commissions us and provisions us, and who overcomes challenges and opposition. God, thank You this morning that You have given us this church to come and worship You, to learn about You. Father, I pray that as we go through this series that not only would You build in each of us, develop in each of us that clear picture, that defined purpose, that vision for our lives, but that through us, God, 
you would also build this dream, this church, for which you have given me vision and purpose. Because I believe this is my specific intent from you. So Lord, I thank you for every person here this morning, for those that are a part of this church and were not able to be here this morning. I thank you, God, that you have equipped them, provisioned them, provided a plan and a purpose for their lives, that you have called them to this time, to this place, to be with us as your people, to live your dream, to build your church. In Jesus' name, amen.